Let's go to the Lord in in prayer one more time. Lord, we're thankful for all that you give us in your word and for the text that we're studying today. It is as much for us today as it was the day it was written. And as we study your word, Father, may we come to a greater understanding of your holiness. I pray that by your spirit, we would hear and receive and obey your word. Thank you, Father. Amen. You know, in as the kind of as the song said, in good times and in bad times, we're called to serve God. And in the Old Testament, the priests were called to serve him. But what does it take to serve God? Uh, as I've been doing, I've been working uh, my way through Exodus. And today we will continue in Exodus chapter 29. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 29. Uh, before before diving in there though let me remind you of what we've studied in the past in Exodus 28 if you remember we examined the garments, the clothes uh, that the priests wore we saw that for the children of Israel for the people of Israel to be accepted by God that it depended on the priests. The high priest had to wear this ephod that had the 12 names of the tribes of Israel inscribed on it. He had to wear this uh, breast piece that had precious stones on it. He had to wear a blue uh, or a violet robe and a turban with a gold medallion on it. And do you remember what words were put on that uh, gold medallion? Holy to the Lord. Lord. Now the other priests were slightly different. They had coats and sashes and caps. Not as elaborate as the high priest, but still dressed for glory and for beauty. And these were sacred garments that were worn by the priest to set them apart for service. And so the the priests, especially the high priests, represented the people before God. And the spiritual welfare of the entire nation depended on their ability to enter into God's presence with prayer, with sacrifice. It was their sacred duty. But in order to do this, the priests had to be completely holy. And so God told Moses to uh, consecrate, consecrate Aaron and his son, the first, the first priest. And that's what we're going to look at today is the ordination service, so to speak, of Aaron and his sons. First, God told Moses to gather what was needed. This is in the very first verse of chapter 29. 
Now this is what you shall do to consecrate them, so that they may serve me as priests. Take a, <coughs> excuse me, take one bull of the herd, two rams without blemish, unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make of them fine wheat flour. You shall put them in a basket and bring them in the basket. Bring the bull and the two rams. Next came the men who were going to be ordained as priests. Moses escorted Aaron and the priest to the doorway of the tabernacle. But before they could enter God's holy presence, they had to be cleansed from head to toe. And you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Now this process of consecration, of ordination, it began with a very public entering of the courtyard with the bull, the two rams, the basket with the bread, the cakes made with oil. And the very first step was the washing of the priests. A symbolic purification. And those chosen by God to represent him, they had to be ritually cleansed. <coughs> so the cleansing preceded clothing. Once they were washed, the priests were dressed. God told Moses, you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat, the robe, the ephod, the breastpiece, and gird him with a skillfully woven band of the ephod. Set the turban on his head and <coughs> sorry, excuse me, my voice here, and put the gold medallion on the turban. And then the technical term for this is investiture. So Moses clothed Aaron with a white linen tunic that represented righteousness. And of course, on top of it all, with the gold medallion, holy to the Lord. Finally, Aaron was ready to be ordained. God told Moses, you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. <coughs> Anointing with oil was the act that set a man apart for public service. King, priest, they were anointed with oil. This anointed oil was poured over the high priest's head and it ran down onto his garments. The psalmist described it like this. Precious oil poured out onto the head, running down onto the beard, running down onto the collar of his robes. This anointing oil showed that the high priest was holy, that God had poured out his spirit on him. Only the high priest was anointed in this way. And later Moses would call Aaron the priest who was chief among his brothers on whose head the anointing oil is poured and who has been consecrated to wear the garments.
have to appreciate how holy things were. Let me remind you of what happened to two priests later on, Nadab and Abihu. These sons of Aaron were destroyed for offering unholy worship in the tabernacle. Nadab and Abihu were burned alive, consumed by God's fiery judgment. Interestingly, if you read the story of it, when their corpses were carried outside the camp, the men were able to lift their bodies by the by their garments, by their tunics. So although the priests themselves were destroyed with fire, it appears that their garments were unscathed. The clothes were still holy to God, even though the men who wore them had profaned God. And one of the interesting facts that I want to point out is that God commanded Moses here to do several things to Aaron and his sons. Moses' role as a mediator was very active. Aaron and his sons were very passive. If you look through what we've just looked about, this is what God said. God tells Moses, this is what you shall do to them. You, Moses, shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting. You, Moses, shall wash them with water. You shall put the coat on Aaron. You shall put the turban on his head. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. The you shall phrase, I counted it, found it 36 times in this chapter. And this chapter only has a total of 46 verses. So there's a lot of God telling Moses, you shall. And a lot of Aaron and his sons having things done to them. Uh, A.W. Pink writes this. He says, it's indeed striking to see that Aaron and his sons took no active part at all. From the first to the last, they were passive in the hands of another. Much was done for them and to them, but they themselves did nothing. Standing in God's place, in God's stead, Moses did all for them. It was by his word they were chosen and brought. It was by his hand they were washed, clothed, and anointed. It was Moses who brought the bull for the sin offering. And so too the application of the blood to the parts of their bodies and to the altar was the work of Moses as God's mediator. So can you see that in a real sense, this kind of shows the way that an unbeliever comes to faith in Christ. It's really <clears throat> passively. In theological terms, they call it a monergistic work. This means that it is the work of one. It is the work of the one and only God. Jesus taught this in John 3 when he spoke of the work of the Holy Spirit in the experience of the new birth. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from. 
so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So just as we are passive recipients of the activity of the wind, so it is the same with the new birth. The Spirit of God will regenerate those God has chosen and given to a son. The new birth is an act of God, not an act of man. And Moses, as we just saw, was the mediator. He was the one who was active upon the priests in this situation. And I think this is a beautiful picture of, of salvation, where God's appointed mediator fits God's chosen people to serve. You know, I think even just, just coming to grasp this, at least to me, goes a long way in giving me a worshipful heart. Just understanding this concept. Now, so far the priests looked good and they smelled nice. You know, they've been washed and dressed, but they were still sinners. There was a gap between their outward appearance and their inward spiritual condition. Yet in order to serve God in the tabernacle, they had to be holy all the way through. And something had to be done about their guilt. And this is where the sacrifices come in. And as we look through here, we see three different kinds of sacrifices. And it's spread out over several days. The first and most important was the sacrifice for the atonement of sin. And it was also the biggest. This is where God said to Moses, Bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you kill the bull before the entrance, take part of the bull, and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And the rest of the blood you pour at the base of the altar. Take the fat that covers the entrails, the long lobe of the liver, the kidneys, and burn it on the altar. The flesh, the skin, the dung you will burn with fire outside the camp. It is an offering. So the bull for the sin offering was sacrificed in the courtyard outside of the tabernacle. And its blood sprinkled on the horns of the altar. And this sanctified the altar itself. You see, the altar had been made by the hands of sinful men, and it needed to be consecrated as well. And the unclean parts of the bull were taken outside of the camp and burned. And the rest of the animal placed on the altar and offered as an atoning sacrifice. Now, the significance of this was very powerfully demonstrated by the actions of the priests themselves. Before Moses killed the bull, the priest gathered around and laid their hands on the head of the bull. This identified them with a sacrifice, imputing the sin of the priests to the bull. 
the animal was sacrificed, making atonement for the men. And so what you've got to understand here is what happened to the animal was what should have happened to each sinner. As the priest watched the bull burn on the altar, the bull on which they had laid their hands on, on its head, they realized that they were the ones that deserved to die. God was executing his death penalty, punishment for sin, on the bull and not them. In his mercy, he allowed this animal to be a sacrificial substitute, dying in their place. So what we see here is there is substitution. A clean and perfect animal is substituted for the worshiper and is killed in his place. We see imputation, laying on of hands, confessing sin, transferring sin to the animal. The animal now becomes the life. The result is an atonement. The sinless one, the animal, assumes the guilt and is given over to death. And finally, in this situation, there is what we would say is propitiation, meaning that God's justice is satisfied. And so this sin offering had to come first before the priest could proceed on. And it's significant that this is the first time that the term sin offering is used in Scripture. The next sacrifice involved the first of the two rams. Then you shall take one of the rams, Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, kill the ram, take its blood, and throw it against the sides of the altar. Cut the ram into pieces, wash its entrails and legs, put them with the pieces in its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. So once again, the priests place their hands on the sacrifice. Once again, the blood is smeared on the altar. Only this time it's sprinkled on the sides, not on the horns. And the entire ram is committed to the flames. Nothing is left. The whole thing is burned. In the same way that the entire ram was offered up to God, this signified that the priests were offering up themselves wholly, completely for God's service. It signified that they were totally dedicated to the service of God. And finally, the second ram. God said, you take the second ram, Aaron and his sons, and lay again lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram and take its blood this time. But it's different this time. The blood doesn't go on the altar. The blood goes on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and his sons, on the thumb of their right hands, 
and on the big toe of their right feet. And the rest of the blood is thrown against the sides of the altar. And see, this sacrifice was only for the priests. Everyone in Israel needed sin offerings and burnt offerings, but the ram of consecration or the ram of ordination was unique to the priesthood. And its main function was to sanctify the priests for their priestly duties. And this is why the blood was put directly on their bodies. And you think about this. We've had a bull that was slaughtered. We've had two rams that were slaughtered. By the time the last ram was slaughtered, there was going to be blood everywhere. There was blood on the altar. There was blood all over the priests. It was smeared on the earlobes, on their thumbs, on their feet, spattered on the garments. It showed what they did in the temple was holy to God. (laughs) Hebrews says this, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And this included the priests. So we've seen now that the priests were washed with water, robed with righteousness, anointed with oil, sprinkled with sacrificial blood, purified, sanctified, anointed, justified. And in this way, they were consecrated for a holy service to God. And this this ordination or consecration service is important because it reveals deep spiritual truths about Christ and our own Christian service. I've said this before that in one way or another everything about the tabernacle is connected to Christ. The tabernacle pointed to Christ dwelling with his people. It was symbolic of his incarnation in which the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. The golden lampstand, if you remember, symbolized Jesus as the light of the world. The bread symbolized him as the bread of life. Even the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place symbolized how his bodily death opened up the way to God. But Christ was also revealed here in the ordination of the priests. The sacrifices that consecrated these priests to God pointed to the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. Christ is the sin offering and the atonement for us. When we lay our hands on him by faith, he becomes our substitute, dying in our place. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And by his blood, we are purified for a holy service to God. You know, Jesus is not just the sacrifice, but he's 
also the priest. And this is another way that the tabernacle points us to Christ. Jesus Christ is the priest who enters God's presence on our behalf. Hebrews calls him a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. The high priest of our confession. A great high priest. A high priest forever. The high priest of good things that have come. A great priest over the house of God. As our great high priest, Jesus presents our prayers to God, interceding on our behalf. He stands before God on our behalf in perfect righteousness so that we can be accepted in God's sight. You know, if Jesus is our priest, then he must have been ordained to the priesthood as well. This is part of the meaning of Jesus' public baptism when his ministry began, when he was baptized in the Jordan River. If you remember, uh, the scripture says that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were opened. The Holy, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So in the Old Testament, the priests were anointed with oil, symbolic of the Spirit, setting them apart for God's service. But when Jesus was anointed, it was with the Spirit himself. Later, when the Apostle Peter wanted to explain to explain who Jesus was, he said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus was anointed for his ministry as our priests by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this explains why Jesus is such a wonderful priest. He's been anointed by the third person of the Trinity. It was by the Spirit that Jesus performed miracles, by the Spirit that he taught God's Word, by the Spirit that he offered his life for our sins, and by the Spirit that he was raised from the dead. Now it is by the Spirit that he works in our lives and hearts. Whatever we need, Whatever we need from God, protection, provision, peace in times of trouble, healing, comfort, guidance, forgiveness, victory over sin. We are invited to ask for it in Jesus' name. He is our priest, a priest so perfect that we do not need any other. Jesus has made the only sacrifice that we will ever need by dying on the cross for our sins. Is he worthy? Yes, he is. So the ordination of the Old Testament priest points us to Christ and his perfect priesthood. It shows what it means to be consecrated by Christ. 
And it does this by really telling the story of our salvation. You know, Aaron and his sons were washed with water, robed with righteousness, anointed with oil, and sprinkled with blood. This washing of water, it really reminds us of the Christian baptism, signifying the washing away of sins. Sin, sin makes us dirty. Angry thoughts, profane language, selfish ambitions, whatever it is, these things make us unclean. And if we're going to have any kind of relationship with God at all, something has to be done about the filthiness of our sin. But we can only be clean if God makes us clean. But the, but the real cleansing isn't the outward washing. The real cleansing is what God does on the inside to wash away sin. God makes us clean when we are born again by His Spirit. And the Spirit continues to cleanse us as often as we are stained by sin. <laughs> Our sins make us feel dirty, or at least they ought to. But God can make us clean. He has promised if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So therefore, let us draw near to God with, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And next comes the robing of righteousness. And God does something more than simply washing away our sin. He clothes us with the perfect righteousness of Christ. All of you who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The Old Testament priests were clothed in sacred garments symbolizing their holiness before God. It takes holiness to stand before God. And the priest could not enter God's holy sanctuary unless they were suitably dressed. But we have the most righteous robes of all. Every believer has put on Christ and is dressed with a perfect righteousness of Christ's obedience. We don't stand on our own merits, which would have never been good enough for God. In, in, instead, God accepts us on the basis of what He has done, what Jesus has done. So God has washed us by His Spirit, clothed us with the Son, anointed us for His service. We have been anointed by the Holy One. Scripture says that God has anointed us and given us His Spirit in our hearts. And God, the Holy Spirit, has set us apart for sacred service. And finally, 
let me remind you again of the sacrifices. The sin offering, the sacrifice of atonement, the burnt offering, a sacrifice of dedication, and then the offering that was an offering of purification or consecration for the priests. We too have a substitute. A sacrifice has died in our place to make atonement. And this substitutionary sacrifice has been made by none other than Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. And to receive forgiveness, all we need to do is lay our hands on him by faith. And when we do, God imputes our sin unto him. So God has provided full salvation in Jesus Christ. He has washed us clean, robed us in righteousness, anointed us with the spirit, atoned for our sins. Why has he done this? Why has he done this? Because he loves us so. For his glory. But he loves us. He has, he has, in the Old Testament, the priests themselves were set apart. But now, through Christ, we have been set apart. We have been ordained as priests. The New Testament takes this word priest and applies it to everyone who has been saved from sin. We are called a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests to serve God. We are priests of God and Christ. And this means that God has an important work for us to do. We have been called into his holy service. You know, I think a lot of Christians see Christian ministry as primarily for ministers, for missionaries, something that the person does full time and not something that you live your life doing. Uh, but God has given every one of us a sacred calling. Every one of us. We are priests of the living, holy God. And we have a holy obligation to serve him. I mean, we no longer serve him in the tabernacle. But we serve him in the church. We serve him in the world. Man, this world is a mess. And it needs Jesus. We serve him by praising his name. We serve him through the church. We serve him by binding up the wounds of the brokenhearted and embracing the outcasts of society. We serve him by loving those who are hard to love. We love them with the same love 
that we have received from God in Christ. We serve Him by telling people to put their faith in Christ. And when we do this, we're doing this for His glory. When the Old Testament priests were, were ordained, if you remember, they were marked with blood in three places. Their earlobes, their thumbs, and their big toes. Really went from head to toe. But symbolically, the blood on their ear sanctified it to hear the word of God. To listen to God's will. On the thumb, well that set the the hands apart to do the service of God. On the big toe of the right foot, well that meant that they were set apart to walk in God's ways, to walk in God's path. So God expected the priest to be hearers and doers of his word, to walk in his paths. And he expects no less from us. God has made the very same claim on everyone who belongs to him. We have been marked with the blood of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Scripture tells us, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of heifer sanctify for their purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more Will that purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? It doesn't end by just saying we get purified from our sins. It says we get purified in order to serve the living God. We have been set apart to serve. Our ears belong to God. He wants us to listen to his word, hear it and obey. Our thumbs, really our <laughs> all of our hands, belong to God. God wants us to serve him with all of our strength. <laughs> our big toes, our feet belong to God. You ought to think about that. Every time you put on a pair of socks, these feet belong to God. Am I walking in his paths? God wants us to walk with him as we make our way through the world. We have a high and holy calling. We have been ordained as priests to serve the living God. 
Let's pray. Lord, you have cleansed us by your spirit. You have clothed us with the righteousness of your son, Christ. You have anointed us, Father, for service. And we praise you for this. We have been marked with the blood of Christ. So we cry out to you, Father. Strengthen us. Help us to listen to your word. Help us to be doers of your word. And give us the strength to walk in your ways. Especially in times like these, Father. We put our faith, our trust in you and the wonderful works you're doing in our lives. And may we serve you, Lord. May we serve you as a royal priesthood. Thank you, Father. Amen.